For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in Jonah chapter 3, God gives Jonah a second chance to go into the city of Nineveh and proclaim the word of the Lord. And because of his obedience, the entire city turns to God. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, A Change of Heart. Alrighty, welcome you back to your seats. We're going to get started. Our prophet Jonah is going to get a second chance here tonight as we dig into Jonah chapter 3. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we consider tonight's chapter, the Ninevites, evil doers, repenting and finding mercy, Lord, just a wonderful encouragement to our hearts, Lord, how easy it is to get right with you. We pray, Lord, that you would lead us in these truths and help us to put them into practice so we could be blessed. In Christ's name, amen. An old Scottish preacher once said, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And here in chapter three, like I've just said, Jonah's uh, story here, our disobedient prophet is going to find his uh, second chance. So we're going to dive right in here, chapter three and verse one, one through three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, what a concept, and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. So we'll park there and kind of catch up with a little context and see what's going on here. Um, It's a new beginning for a believer. Jonah goes uh, from disobedient and resistant Man of God, you know, someone who represents the Lord, uh, to obedient and compliant. And so this took some doing, which is part of the context here, of course. Uh, it, it, some people learn, they have to learn the hard way. And, and Jonah is one of those kinds of guys. Uh, his big turnaround, the, the way that he gets a second chance, is after uh, three whole days inside a very tight and uncomfortable place, inside a great fish in the belly of a whale. Uh, A whale that Jesus, our Lord Jesus, said really literally existed in Matthew chapter 12. Um, And so Jonah sees the error of his ways, but only after he saw his life ebbing away uh, there. And so uh, be that as it May, um, uprises a beautiful prayer. And we, that is the subject of Jonah chapter two. He writes almost a psalm. And it's just so beautiful uh, how he comes back to the Lord in a beautiful prayer of praise. Uh, and he closed that out, you'll remember, with a promise, you know. And uh, here was the promise. What I have vowed, I will make good Salvation comes from the Lord. In other words, he learned his lesson. Salvation coming from the Lord means, God, you can save anybody you want. And if you want me to bring that message to evil person, I will. I will be 
obedient because the gospel salvation is your doing. So who am I to say who qualifies for that gospel good news of getting saved and, and who doesn't? Who am I to withhold God's mercy from somebody God wants to save? And that is really uh, what took him three days inside the belly of the fish uh, to learn. Now, stubbornness. Stubbornness, you know, sanctified stubbornness is called stick It'll work for you, right? But unsanctified human stubbornness, man, that's a curse. And, you know, you really don't want to win with God. You want to lose and let God win so that you win, right? But when you win, you really lose, right? And so it's kind of an upside-down kingdom. We always got to let God win because a win for God is a win for us. And he loves us, you know? All of his commands are for our good. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and around verse 13. All right, and so... um, yeah, so, and, and then it says, after his aha moment, after his aha moment, uh, it says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, I want the high definition video. When I get to heaven, I don't know about you, I gotta see that happen. You know, it, it's, it, doesn't it sound intriguing to you? Yeah, I wanna see that. I wanna hear it too. I want a, a total sensory perception of all of that. And so Warren Wiersbe, uh, that great American pastor, he's still alive. He's in his late 80s. He wrote uh, so many commentaries, so helpful, uh, great Bible teacher. He said about the uh, disgorging of Jonah onto the beach. He said, he wondered who was more relieved, the great fish to get rid of Jonah or Jonah to get out of the fish. So, you know, you never know who was more distressed. And so, notice, um, it took three days. Three days of horror, you know? But actually, those three days really worked a miracle in Jonah's heart. Without those three days, uh, there would be many Ninevites who would miss the grace of God. Uh, And so, Jonah's own painful predicament, the thing that swallowed him up because of his disobedience and the result of his own folly uh, really acts, at, listen, as the great evangelist to his soul. So, you know, I, I really notice that, that God allows the consequences of our own foolishness uh, to evangelize us. I mean, we don't need somebody talking to us so much as when we've already sinned against the knowledge we know, our own conscience, and common sense, and then we find ourselves in a painful situation, and that painful situation connected to the sinning speaks to us, turn from this so that the pain will go away and we could get some healing. You know, uh, that's really, you know, one writer said, oh, blessed tumor, oh, sacred bankruptcy, oh, blessed incarceration. Because these are the things that speak to our souls when the whispering of God's blessings fail. You see, and so that's what happened. A big fish, you know, three days. It took him three days. He could have stopped the process so many times. God gave him an out, 
but this dude, he's stubborn. He was going for the whole 72 hours, you know, and, uh, but he got it. That's the important thing. Uh, I want you to remember about prodigals. Prodigals, whether they're prodigal children. Prodigal means to waste or to squander, right? And so just like Jonah's situation, the painful situation spoke to his heart loud and clear and helped him to change. You know, the prodigal son, one of my, the, my favorite lines in that story is Jesus telling it in Luke chapter 15. As here's this kid, you know, uh, it starts out, you know, he says, give me the inheritance, dad. You're as good as de- dead to me anyway, right? And so he, he gets the inheritance and he goes off to a very far place as it often is, very far, distant away. And he squanders, that's the word prodigal. He squanders it on wild living, right? And then he becomes in need, as always. That's the cycle, right? So he burns through the cash. The party's over. Everybody's saying, check, please, check, please. And, and none of his friends are, are, are paying for the bill. Uh, and in fact, all of his friends are gone. And uh, a great famine comes. And here's a nice Jewish boy, a nice Jewish boy who is <laughs> hired by a pig farmer to feed the pigs. And the, and the slop is starting to look good to him. That's not good for this boy. And here's the verse that I really love and that I connected with Jonah and the three days in the belly of a monster, the bottom of the sea. When he came to his senses, when he came, there was nobody there preaching the gospel and saying, how could you break your father's heart? And this isn't how he raised you and, and all of this effort and time to speak the things he already knew. What did he need? He needed the three best evangelists in the world. Hunger, emptiness, and loneliness. Right? And just your prayers. Just your prayers. Let those of us who deal with prodigals, one writer wrote, of prophets as well, who have lost their way, may you not lose hope. Share the gospel sensibly and remember that alongside our efforts to turn them back, the Lord is sending in powerful preachers called consequences of running from God. And so, uh, so he's up. He's out, you know, and I don't know how long it took him to rub his eyes and stretch and just think, wow, is this really, am I really out of that fish, you know? But he gets out and uh, he get, God hits rewind and he's going to give him a second chance here in your verses here. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time and it doesn't sound very different from the first time and that's how God is, right? He asks you to do something and we, we don't do it and then we get around to doing it and, and there it is again. There's not much variation. Uh, uh, he tells him to get busy with what he told him to do the first time. Now, how did the word of the Lord get to him? You know, it doesn't say. You know, there might have been somebody who was speaking in behalf of the Lord or an inner prompting that was confirmed through circumstance or keeping with the revealed word of God. Well, how about us? Does God still speak today? Does the word of the Lord come to you? John, and Ross, and Dan, 
Yeah, it does. Well, in one form, it comes twice a week here to me when we hear the word of God taught or even read or preached. The word of the Lord is coming to our souls and we are responsible having heard the voice of God in all kinds of various ways, the Holy Spirit applies these truths. The word of the Lord is alive and speaking uh, to us. And, that, and, and that's a beautiful thing because uh, Psalm 19 says, when the word of the Lord comes to you, it revives the soul, it gives joy to the heart, it brings light to the eyes. Oh, let God speak to me. If I don't hear from God, man, I just feel dead. I gotta hear him. The yeses and the noes and the hugs and, and the spanks. I mean, I just love having him in my life. I, that is when I feel alive. And so the word of the Lord is coming to our prophet once again. And he says, go to that great city with the message I'll give you. Now that just, just chapped his hide again. You know, that, uh, that's a way to irritate somebody is to say, you know, uh, go with the message and I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you later. You know, God is exerting his authority, reestablishing. Listen, Jonah, I'm in charge. I'm going to tell you everything here. But as you go and obey, then I'll supply the information. As you're seeking me and as you're obeying, then I'll give you that part of the puzzle. Oh, yeah, that kind of rubs us the wrong way. We want like the, we want to hit... You know, download now everything step by step. I want a, a script right here of everything I need to say. In the Hebrew, the message I give you, love it. It says literally, speak to it the speech which I will say to you. A lot of preachers today just need to hear that. I want you to open your mouth with the words that I tell you to say. I don't want you getting in the pulpit and opening up a Christian book and saying, hey, the Bible's really important, but we're going to look at this nice Christian book today or, or, or get into the pulpit and say, hey, I just feel like talking about hope. So I'm going to pull a scripture here and pull a scripture here and pull a scripture here and give you my feelings about it and throw in a couple cute stories about my kids. <laughs> that part's okay. <laughs> if you got cute kids. <laughs> well, yeah. He says, could you do me a favor? I don't want you to give your opinion. You're my messenger. You know, you can't cut and paste. So, well, if I say this, they'll be uncomfortable. Oh, that's kind of their problem. It's how you say it. It should be uh, rendered sweetly and kindly. But anyway, a nice reminder that in this world, last days, Second Timothy in chapter um, for preach the word, preach the word. Tell them what I'm wanting to say. Preach the word with great patience and instruction for time is going to come when they're not going to put up with God's truth. Second Timothy chapter four. But they'll look for great numbers of teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn away from the truth. Jonah, tell them what I tell you to tell them. I have a message for them. So off he goes. Uh, Jonah's uh, off on his way, rubbing his eyes uh, to Nineveh, which is uh, modern-day Mosul, 
Iraq. As I told you, I got a little map here. And so, you know, he started out, Gaff Hefer is where he lives. So in, instead of going straight up this way, he went down to Joppa for the boat, and he was headed all the way around through the strait over here to Tarshish, okay? <laughs> 2,500 miles away. Dude, that is serious Jewish stubbornness right there, all right? So he, 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 he managed to get some, out of port, you know, the storm came, and boom, he got tossed overboard. And then somewhere, depending on where the whale took him, you know, it's somewhere about three to 500 miles uh, of a, a little bit of a journey uh, to get to Nineveh. And so he, he's ready for the challenge, and uh, he's obeying, which is a good thing. And, and so he's learned the lesson, you know, don't try to avoid the call of God. Uh, but in retrospect, when we read chapter 4, and thank you for the map, it's partial obedience. Oh, the, the, feet, the feet are going, and the mouth will be moving, but the heart is still sailing to Tarshish, unfortunately. And we're going to find that out. You know, uh, it, it, it's the great paradox of the book of Jonah, is, is that here's this guy who will now say, okay, I'm going to go. I got a great illustration. Dad says to the son, you're on time out. Go sit over there. Go sit against the wall. Sit down. And the kid is just standing. And after a big battle, the kid sits on the ground and says to dad, just so you know, I am standing in my heart. All right. Yeah. Jonah is moving toward Iraq. But in his heart, he's still sailing to Spain. And we find that out, you know. How patient is God? How long-suffering? Are you not glad that he puts up with this nonsense in his human beings? You know, uh, you know sometimes I just think he's going to push a button. Well, he is, you know, eventually, but he's going to redeem us. And that he laid down his life and took time to become one of us, knowing what's in our heart. You know, even when we love him, even when he's in us and we have the knowledge and we've been born again, even then we've got a little bit of Jonah moments here and there. And he's so patient. He's saying, listen, I'm in this with you, Jonah. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I am going to work with you until the inner life matches the outer life. And it's going to take some work, you know. So buckle your seatbelts, you know. It won't be sweat on God's brow. You know, I, listen, I'm going to save you a little bit of time and trouble. Just, just keep saying, yes, Lord. Just, yes, Lord. You know, it's really, really a good thing. Try it out right now. You're a little quiet, but I still love you. But try it out. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, that sounded really enthusiastic. <laughs> All right, moving on. Verses four and five. Now, on the first day, he's, in, he's there. <laughs> he made it. Arr. Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Well, that's what God gave him to say. The Ninevites believed God. What? They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, all is a big word, put on 
sackcloth. So let's just park there and talk about Jonah's expression on his face when everybody was hitting the deck. All right. So interesting. We have seen a new beginning for a sinning believer. Follow me. Follow me here. A new beginning for a sinning believer brings a new beginning for sinning unbelievers. You see, when you get your act together, God's going to work in somebody else's life. When you don't have your act together and you're running, you put other people in harm's way. Those poor sailors, they're stuck in a storm. Why? Because of Jonah's rebellion. We're connected to people. And so when you do just the opposite and you obey God, you let God use you uh, and you're compliant, you will be a blessing to others. And look what's happening here. Salvation is coming. And so uh, four times Nineveh is called uh, a great city. And it's really about its significance, right? Uh, Number one, it's great in size. Uh, it is, what is it? It's 60 miles in circumference, all right? That is eight times the size of San Francisco. So it's great in size. It's great in significance in that it's the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So that's a big deal. Uh, it's great in, in, in history. Did you know this? That it, it was founded by, a, by Noah's great-grandson, whose name is Nimrod, who is the first type of Antichrist ever mentioned in the Bible. His name means the trapper of men, hunter of men, Nimrod. See, he founded that place, Nineveh and Babylon and all of that. And also, it's great because of its sin. You know, you can't take a Bible class and not learn about the cruelty of the Assyrians. It is so very, very much uh, like ISIS, so very much. They do the same things. In fact, I'm reading in Nahum, it's talking about what these guys were up to, the Assyrians, and they would execute and put to death uh, regarding of gender or age because they wouldn't want to take care of them. And so they would execute the kids and babies, right? Just exactly like, and how fitting, I got a picture of it, and I showed you last week. This is so crazy ironic to me. This picture is modern day Nineveh, Mosul, Iraq, is modern day Iraq. Those Islamists, are the descendants of the cruel Ninevites. And so in the very same place, the, 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 the progeny of those Assyrians are there doing the same exact kinds of cruel acts. And it's been, what, since we're at 800 BC? So 2,800 years later, there, great, great times, many generations, grandchildren, are there. And it, it's just, it's unbelievable to me. It's, it's even, it's faith building to see the prophecies and how things come together. And this is real life. This, you're looking at Nineveh. Nineveh happened and it's happening. But God knew it. And, and those, those things were historically true, but they're also prophetically, there's a layer of prophecy there that that would happen again. And these 
are the guys. Definition of evil. So he's saying, Jonah, I want you to go there and I want you to offer them the gospel. I want you to, to come against the sin. But when you come against the sin, as I've mentioned before, that always gives an opportunity for changing the heart and having an opportunity to get right with God. It'd be hard. It would be very hard to want to see one of those dudes make it to heaven in our natural inclinations. And this, my friend, is the story of Jonah. So thank you for that picture. But uh, So uh, apparently there's been uh, a major incident in Nineveh because God told Jonah originally, go and preach against that sin. Nobody knows what they did, but they crossed the line. And God said, I want them to know I heard about it, I see it, and I'm going to judge them for it. So something they did that just was more heinous than usual, and God said, you know what, I'm going to make an end of them. But because I have compassion and love, I'm going to give them a way out. You know? So before I, I wipe them from the face of the earth because of the sin that's up in my face, I want you to go and tell them. Give them 40 days. And I'm going to uh, deal with them. Now, the question is, um, can he save an Islamic terrorist? He can. He does. How about this dude? Do you remember him? I've showed you him before. Yosef. He's all the rage. He was a couple years ago. Uh, he is the son of the head of Hamas. And he grew up and he was participating as a hateful, angry, murderous terrorist, hating Jews, killing them, and Christians, right? But somebody witnessed to him in Jerusalem, an American tourist uh, visiting Jerusalem, shared the gospel, invited him to a prayer meeting. And for some reason, he went along and he listened and, and they spoke about Jesus loving, calling us to love our enemies, and, and that grabbed him, right? So he became a born-again Christian, Amen. right? So he wrote a book, Son of Hamas, right? So I don't know anybody here just want to say, hey, Yosef, listen, there's no room for you, bro, in heaven. You are excluded, man. What you did and what you represented, you know, you, you put yourself outside. There's not a spot for you at God's table, Yosef. And he's like, dude, I, I, I love the Lord. Jesus opened my eyes. It's like scales coming off of my eyes. My heart's been changed. I'm not that person. That person died. Ah, God can save them. And all he wants is to, you not to love anything about what they're doing but to know that there's a soul there and that they qualify as a whosoever. And that regards every single group that you have a really hard time with. God has a really hard time with them too. And he's got a terrible destiny for them if they don't turn, but he provided a way for them to come through and have life. And you have to be willing as God's representative to be in line with that character and nature of Christ. To just be willing to say all things are possible with God and he loves that soul. And I, I'm open to praying 
for them. Amen? That's just, just the gospel and uh, just a very hard thing to do. I'm not going to tell you, Yosef, oh, sorry, bro, all full up. We don't take your kind. Islamic terrorists, out. Yeah, I don't think so. So, though it would have taken three whole days walk uh, on the first day, and this is, you know, thank you for that. You can put the verses back. Uh, on the first day, day one of his preaching, you know, it, it should have, uh, before he even gets to the towns, you know, it's spreading like wildfire. So they're already <laughs> repenting when he's getting there, right? There, it, it's, it's going on ahead of him. And it's just, just love this. Um, notice uh, that God, the, God, the God of love has a strong message, and he, he warns them strongly of a terrible future reality. Uh, so no doubt, Jonah said, more than 40 days and this place goes up in flames, but that's the gist of it, you know? Now, a few words under the power of the Holy Spirit uh, changed the nation. Just a few words given by God, uh, and they're hard words. Listen to what Adam Clark, a British Methodist preacher, late 1700s, said about this passage. He said, we see that Jonah preached this message with seriousness. And such earnestness is fitting for a ministry that has to do with eternal souls and being dead in sin, with the threat of hell hanging over one's life especially when the sinner doesn't clearly understand their own peril. The person who is afraid to speak of such matters with some intensity is not likely to awaken slumbering souls. And an, an intensity of speech does not imply a noisy, loud, obnoxious, screaming rant, but a soberness of tone which men accompanied by God's Spirit communicates to the soul in need the gravity of their predicament, right? Don't be afraid. You know, I have lots of people say, oh, I'm the, I'll never mention hell to anybody. What? Oh, I don't want to get the look that they give you at the great white throne when you didn't bother to just say, hey, there's a possibility of this really bad place. Oh, I, I, I don't want anybody at the great white throne. We're all going to be there on, on this side. We judge the world with him, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't want any of them looking at me like, what? Why can't you? Why? You know, I don't want any of that. And you know what? I'm working so that nobody, I'm pulling the rug out from that ever happening. And so R2-D2, Welcome. You, you are welcome here. So, while no... <laughs> who am I to deny the gospel to R2-D2? All right. <laughs> Amen, everybody? All right, so while nobody's looking at you, secretly and subtly slip your hand down into your pocket or purse and turn that off because before that becomes a Christmas present for my child. <laughs> Amen, everybody? Thank you. Oh. So, where was I? 
So yeah, a few words, right? He, he's in a second language, so he probably went to Google, you know, and, and put 40 days in, this place birds, you know, and out comes something in Aramaic, and so he's good. Now, get ready for this, because this is crazy good right here. Check back in, because there's a precious ambiguity in the word overturned. And he says, hey, 40 days, and this place is overturned. Check this out. There's one meaning that means the obvious. Turned upside down and destroyed. Genesis 19, Sodom was overturned. There's another major meaning of the word that means reversal or change of heart. So here's what he's saying. There are two ways to hear this sentence. You can hear, in 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Or you can also hear, in 40 more days, Nineveh will have a change of heart. Wow. So God has even planted in the words that he said, I'm going to give you a message. Oh, and you're going to speak that message. And Jonah knows the meaning of the word. He knows they could take it meaning, hey, 40 days, you have a change of heart. Or 40 days, this place is going to, I was going to say fry, but, you know, that's a little vulgar for it. This is going to be overturned, all right? It's nicer. If you throw in a little British accent, it makes everything so much softer and nicer, right? Yeah, thank you. So uh, Jonah likes the first option. He hopes they take the first one, the overturning, and God is hoping the latter, and the Lord is giving the option to the Ninevites, you know? And from the look of things, the Ninevites are gonna go with the latter, you know? And what does it say? They believed God. What does that imply? They believed Jonah's message, but they recognized the voice of God through the prophet. This is pretty serious, wonderful stuff. Uh, And so they believe uh, the message is from God, and, and um, swiftly and sincerely, uh, they're going to start to get uh, going now. They're already beating him to it, right? And so they're repenting before he even gets there with the message. I love that. When the Holy Spirit is working, sometimes that happens. Uh, I, uh, maybe it was about 11 years ago, we were in the very first building, five buildings ago, and uh, I was preaching, there was a guy who was coming, he was seeking the Lord, he hadn't made a decision yet, I've been talking a lot to him, right? So I preached this message, and you know how I do it, I go and sit down after, say, everybody stand for the closing song, right? And I went down and I took my place. He got up from his seat while everybody's singing, right? He got up and stands by me and whispers in my ear, when you go back up there, you have to say, you know, if you want to receive Christ, because it's my time and you better do it this time. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do it this time. So I come back up and I play it like totally cool. Hey, maybe you're here uh, this morning. And, and God has touched your heart, and he's just like glowing in the back. He's just got his arm ready, and he's like, bam, you know. It's just so nice when, when God is at work accompanying our words and our actions, uh, miraculous things 
uh, happen. And that certainly is nothing short of miraculous. What my, and they're repenting. People stopped eating. That is a sign of a miracle. Amen? <laughs> One more time. When people stop going to in and out every hour on the hour, that's a miracle. Amen? So they stopped eating. They stopped drinking. They changed into funeral clothes, which is thick burlap and scratchy called sackcloth, right? And, and you know, there's no word of repent in the passage, but that's a good thing because repent isn't a word. It's something you do. So their behavior is changing. They're stopping the violence and the sinning, and they're seeking God with humility, that's just an amazing thing. Repentance is more than just feeling sorry and crying a few tears. I mean, it's going to work its way out into our lives. So it is quite uh, possible that someone witnessed uh, the whole degorging, right, of him from the whale. So perhaps one of the reasons that repentance happened so quickly and so thoroughly is that God allowed some folks to be on the beach and watch this whale beach itself in an amazing show of, wow, a whale. A whale is coming up. A whale is coming up on the beach. Look at that. And that would have been a miracle enough, right? But then it opens its mouth and, and pops him out, right? He didn't just walk out like, oh, yeah, wow, that was a nice trip. He, he got expelled out so he opens it up and it's like boom out he goes you know and the thing about it is that kind of news travels fast all right (laughs) so (laughs) it beat him it that news beat him because when he got there first day he's like 40 days and this place is coming apart and they're like okay we're praying now you know (laughs) why oh and by the way they, uh, they worshipped a god called Dagon. Dagon was half fish and half man. So, so the fish comes up and out comes a man. And, and, and here's what the commentators say. There was this dude I told you about 100 years ago. He fell off the boat and a whale swallowed him and they got him like 24 hours after and he was alive. They cut open the whale, right? But, the, but he was bleached. His hair was all gone, which is not that bad of a deal. <laughs> but he, he, he looked, he was discolored, right? So here's this dude. The story's out. Day gone. The fish came. The fish man. The fish man is here, and he's walking this way, right? And so here comes Jonah with a, not a loving look on his face. Why? Because he's not happy to be there, right? So he gets there, and the look on his face and how he looks and smells, probably, right? They're like, he, he's like, 40 days, and they are in the dirt. That's just an amazing uh, thing. And so... Uh, it's amazing that God, how God works in that way. So he says, the fish man speaks. He says, 40 days to either your, your worst nightmare or 40 days to a change of heart. You choose. Let's finish up 6 to 10. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, already, they were already submitted and worshiping. But the king finds out. He rose from his throne 
took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dirt. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his royal cabinet. Do not let any man or animal, herd or flock, taste anything, let alone eat it. I don't want you tasting it anywhere near your mouth. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be, co- and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God, Elohim, the Jewish word. Not Dagon, because he knows. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish or die. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he threatened. And so betting on God's mercy here as we finish up, repentance has a hope in the mercy and the love of God. Uh, The change of heart on their part is really what caused the change of heart on God's part. Now, for me, this really helps me with Calvinism. Calvinism, you know, John Calvin lived in the 1500s, and and he had a lot of good theology. But some of those things are are over here, for me, in my humble opinion, uh, with predestination. It's all God, and we practically do nothing. I mean, God, God does and control the world. But he does say, choose this day who you will serve. For, for God so loved the world, for whoso, who, who, whosoever. He sent his only son, that whosoever. So if, if we don't have a choice and our, and our decisions don't matter, you know, what's the point? Then the scriptures that offer us a choice are a farce. What if he's saying, choose this day whom you will serve if we can't choose? And God chooses for us, right? Then, and then, then maybe you'd be preaching, choose this day whom you shall serve. You know, like you really don't. You, you know, let's pretend like you could choose when you're not choosing. Because God is just doing everything and you're just really a pawn. You know what? I don't think so. I think God is choosing and we're choosing and somehow both of them are true, and we can't do that math right now. Maybe he's choosing me to choose him because he knew I could choose him if I would choose him. (laughs) Right? Amen? Amen. Who knows? But when I get there, I'm going to go, oh, of course, because we'll be able to do spiritual trigonometry, but we can't do that now. How could that be true and this be true together? Well, they are both true. He is choosing, and I'm choosing because he asked me to choose. It's not just a joke. Like, I just JK afterwards, you know, choose. Not JK, just kidding, for all of you over 40 years old. So, verse 10, God sees what they did and how they did it, and God says, great. I'm going with the change of heart. Love it. And why? Let me give you a few reasons. I got them all on a slide. First, in keeping with his love. Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their evil ways. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? God, our Savior, wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
all men. The really, really bad ones, the ones that, that hurt you, the ones that, that, that you hate and despise who are filthy and immoral, all of them. He wishes them to be saved and he made a way. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Everybody's saying, where's this famous coming? You know, well, he's not slow. He's patient, not wanting anyone, including them, to perish. But everyone, that's a big word, to come to repentance. You know, this is beautiful in keeping with Jeremiah's prophecy. I have that as well. It's not really a prophecy, but he, he's saying what the Lord is saying. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, or destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then guess what? Then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I planned. And so this is keeping right with uh, the New Testament and the Old Testament. Now, uh, interesting in the history books, too, a little bit of what was going on. Uh, some natural phenomena were going on. Uh, there is a recorded solar eclipse during this time over that area. So the sun stops shining, right? There's also an earthquake, a major earthquake on record in the history books right around this time, right around in that place, and of course, a great famine. So because of these three things, you know, the, the man from the fish, the fish man, you know, was the last straw. You know, so he comes up and, and they get it. And God was so gracious to just kind of soften their hearts by, you know, shaking things up a little, putting out the lights, you know, and shaking their little world, you know. And, and let me tell you, you're going to do the same thing again soon. Why? Because he loves them and he thinks like, okay, I got 21 judgments. Judgment one. Anybody ready? Come on, come on, come on, come on. No, no? Okay, I got number two. And he opens seal two. He said, come on, okay? And, and there are. There'll be people who seal two brings them in. But there's still hard hearts. So he says, seal three, seal four. Not because he hates them and enjoys destroying the place, but it's saying, hey, I got to bring it down so that you'll come and have life. So... So uh, the king of terror gets up off of his throne. Come on, can you picture this dude? This is like the king of the world. He gets up off of his throne in front of everybody and goes and sits in the dirt, takes his royal robes off. Picture it. And he sits in the mud. A king. Wow, this dude was conscience-stricken. Boy, he, he really believes. He really believes. I, and so... Uh, what, he sends out a royal decree, love it. He says, okay, I'm doing it. The king's authority, the royal administration, he says, everyone, hit the deck. On your faces, no food, no water. So they think three days, three days. Call on Elohim and look at the verse urgently, urgently. Like, you know, once in a while, it's good to kind of pray like you really mean it. Like, like, I know he doesn't need volume and he doesn't need a show of intensity, but sometimes it's kind of nice, you know, when we express, this is important to me, Lord. You know, a lot of times it's just, you know, Lord, and I just pray that, you know, you just, you know, if it's your will, you know, I just pray that, you know, I don't know. When my kids are like grabbing my face and saying, Dad, 
Dad, look at me. Look at me here. Dad, this, you know, I have, a, I have a memory of PJ grabbing my face. I was on the computer, and, and he's talking to me about something, and he grabbed my face, and he put it in his face, and he goes, Dad, Dad, this is serious. I'm talking to you. Boy, he got my attention, you see? And I could, get, I could make a case for that out of the Gospels and the parables that Jesus says, pray, like you mean it, persistent, you know? Lord, I just pray that if you, you know. You know, well, if that's how you feel about it, you know, it's not, I don't know. I'm just talking up here like I usually do. So call urgently, put some elbow crease into it a little bit, you know. And so very interesting to me, nobody had to make a little clipboard for the king and say, here's what you need to do. Because Romans 1 says, everybody knows Everybody can understand God's divine character and eternal power from by looking at the things that are made. And he says, therefore, Romans chapter one, pagan people groups are without excuse because everything they need to know, the basics, quote, God has made plain to them. Romans chapter one is saying this, there's no such thing as an atheist. There are people who are against God. But everybody who has a human soul, at some level, God has put in an innate knowledge that there is a God. And they are turning from him. And so, look, he knows what to do. He says, hey, stop violence and turn from your evil ways. And call on, not Dagon. He doesn't say, hey, call on Dagon. You know, and maybe you could do this and that and the other thing. He says, stop being evil. And as soon as you say that, everybody knows what that means. He knows. He doesn't need Jonah there with a list. Here's an Old Testament and here are the Ten Commandments. We know God put a conscience in every human being. We know by conscience. You don't take something that doesn't belong to you and you don't kill somebody because you're angry at them. And if you're married to somebody, you don't go off with somebody else. That's called a conscience, and God put it in people. He knows what to do. He didn't grow up in a Christian home. He has a conscience because he's a human being, and God put it in there. And suddenly, it's activated. <laughs> and it helped. The sun went out, the earth was shaking, and the fish man came, <laughs> you know? It helps. I love what he says. Who knows? He's not saying, and then God will. If we all do this, then he will. He's saying, hey, who knows? Maybe God will take note of our sincere sorrow and our willingness to change. And maybe we won't die. Maybe he'll change his mind. I love that. God knows. What's the moral of the story? God prefers to show mercy rather than judgment. God wants people to live and not die. And God is all for new beginnings and second chances. So I imagine, in closing, the king, you to see him, sounds like he got saved. You to see him, the bad boy. And they've already met Jonah. 
And Jonah's going to say to the king, bro, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, man. I, I almost re- wrote you and a lot of people. Wait, hold on. I almost wrote them all off because I said, you know, those kind, them kind. Oh, you know how many people groups we can fit in that? Tonight? I bet there are a dozen of them kind, right? That you can just fit in there, that you just, right up, done. No gospel for you, no prayers for you, no compassion for you. And rightfully, humanly speaking, so. I, I can relate, as I've shared in vulnerability with you last week. The king says to Jonah, Thank you, man. Thank you for coming out of that whale, coming after us, even though you didn't want to. I appreciate what you went through and that you wrote the story. He had to have had a change of heart because he tells us the story. Nobody else knows the story. So the fact that we have the story shows that, ah, Jonah had a change of heart and he wrote it down because it makes him look really uh, not very good. So the fact that he wrote it down shows that even after chapter four, which ends unhappily, unresolved, with Jonah with big red face and veins, not happy, <laughs> but something softened his heart because we have the story and he's in heaven, the king's in heaven and a lot of Ninevites there too because Jonah got over himself and did what God asked him to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful love tonight. We're all challenged, Lord. Just, oh, so hard when people do evil things. Lord, just help us to put them in your hands. Lord, that's your business, and you're going to take good care of all of that. But for now, Lord, you just want us to, to keep our hearts clean and offer the gospel to whosoever will. And just help us to do our job with compassion, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.